This is season two of The Ebbs and the Flows. Today, with the remarkable Stephanie Williams. Stephanie is a woman on the move. AFLW player, artist, young leader, and compassionate, resilient, and big-hearted. You wouldn't guess that she's still 21 years old. This episode is about homecomings, grief, setbacks, mental health struggles, but also a celebration of culture, country, education, well-being, and the ultimate notion of hope and love. Her note to self is beaming with pride for the person she is becoming, while simultaneously harboring immense grief after the loss of her beloved sister. There are so many takeaways and learnings from this beautiful person. This is The Ebbs and the Flows, soft chats about hard stuff. This episode, as well as the vast majority on this podcast, contains sensitive content around mental health that some listeners may find triggering. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Wherever you are listening, the Ebbs and the Flows acknowledges the continuing cultural and spiritual connection First Nations people have to the land, waters and seas, and we pay respect to elders past and present. Stephanie Williams joins us on The Ebbs and the Flows. She's a footballer who's played at two AFLW clubs, also the Darwin Buffaloes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and she designed the AFLW Dream Time. I know sometimes introducing someone, you're probably like, yep, yep, that's me, that's me. Uh, you designed the AFLW Dream Time Guernsey this year, um, but you're also a creative at heart. I've read some of your poetry. It's awesome. Um, Thank the, you. The only, the only way I've never met you, actually. I just know you from Instagram, which ironically, one of my questions later will be about connection through social media. I know we talk about the bad stuff. Yeah. Um, you're also a proud Larrakia w- woman. Um, and you moved down south at 11 years old? Yes, cool. 11 years old. Um, yeah, so mum's Larrakia, dad is Iwaja and has other connections to other places. Um, yeah, top end, and that's kind of like Arnhem Land and in and around the Northern Territory. But yeah, okay. I left home at 11, and it was crazy because I suppose in that period of time, um, education up north is definitely... Um, improved a lot yeah. in you know numeracy literacy opportunities for our young people have yeah. definitely um yeah. yeah advanced since my age and being 11 um yeah almost what I think 11 years ago speed or 10 years ago it's been <laughs> but it's yeah it's been um yeah it's changed so in that period of time there was a lot of I think for mum, she's seen I was becoming a preteen and it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. what's around here for her? Is there yeah. much for her? And funny, we were just talking about ADHD because I think I probably had it most of my life. <laughs> yeah. But there was yeah, yeah. just a need to run, just the need to um, always do something. And I was yeah. super active. And yeah. just I think mum could see that at a very young age. Mm. And it was like, well, maybe there's better sporting opportunities elsewhere outside Great. of the Northern Territory. And maybe there's better education elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, home life, there was, you know, a bit was going on. So mm. it was just the best opportunity for myself. And she just said, think of it like you're going away to um, camp. You're going camping and you'll come back after camping. Um, and I was <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going camping. Yeah. But this camping means I have to go on a plane. And at 11, you're like, cool. I'm going on a plane. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, but then <laughs> 11 and now I'm 21 and I'm still here in Victoria, which is so yeah. funny because I suppose from boarding school came um, getting drafted. Um, and then also 
I went from another boarding school to another boarding school after right, that. Okay. So, yeah, it had been almost seven years all up of um, being in boarding school. So I'd originally went to Warrior Aboriginal College in Hillsville. Yep. And I was there for like, I think it was four or five years. Yeah. And then um, repeated year tw- year 10 and got a scholarship to a mainstream kind of private school to Geelong College. Yeah, right. Um, and I was there for three years and I, I was very young and they told me, you know, in VCU in Victoria, they're 18 when they graduate from school here. Right. So you're very young, so you'll have to repeat year 10. And I think at that age, I always liked a challenge. I was kind of like, <laughs> you say I'm not good enough yeah. for year 11? Like what? Yeah. Um, but I'm so grateful that I'd repeated because that meant I you know, was able to um, get the grasp of the mainstream schooling. And it was a big jump from, you know, obviously not being in mainstream schooling, um, but uh, my teachers thought I was bright enough for it and I got the scholarship and I'd done well. And yeah, I graduated, completed VCE and um, I did well at that school as well and uh, was one of their first, you know, um, Indigenous prefects and Aboriginal uh, boarding captain and those kind of things. And um, Moving at 11 must have been, you must, well, firstly, you must have exhibited a lot of sporting talent. But number two, I can't even imagine moving at 11 years old, picking up your whole life and moving halfway across a massive country. Um, so, you know, it must have been quite daunting for you. Yeah, I think it was very daunting. Um, but I think I was also one to like, like a challenge. Yeah, cool. Um, but a change was good and um, it did wonders for me and I think it made me very, very independent. But, awesome. um, yeah, definitely taught me to um, – well, it really did force me. I don't know about taught me, but I had to to survive away from home. I had to, you know, be able to talk with adults, conversate, but then also be able to make connections with the young people around me. And yeah. I think if you were – at home all the time you're in that comfort and I don't think you really Mm. at times sometimes you can but it's uh, when you're away from home it it adds that layer of I really need to step outside of my comfort and step out of myself because even to come on a plane is a big thing but then definitely to actually be able to survive and then to try and thrive is another level of like I really gotta which is hard sometimes because we make a joke with my family and I is like Oh, it's like at boarding, boarding school again because, you know, you just learn how to, even when you're not feeling 100, just be able to put on this like, how are we going and how are you doing? Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. you were in that environment for so long and it taught you to, to be like that and do that. So mm. um, a lot of learning, but also a lot of unlearning as you become an adult, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, the first question I usually ask you is today, how are you feeling without using the word good or right? bad how are you feeling right now um I'm feeling content great yeah yeah I've had a big journey and I think um a lot of the times I think I'm learning in my journey Mm. with all of the adversities that I've had and you know you've gone away from home at a young age I've um you know I've gone I've played AFLW at a high level and been the, the first uh Aboriginal young woman at both clubs and that's come um, I suppose with being the first of something it's learning Mm. to be in a space um, for the first time is also comes with a lot of responsibility and I think a lot of expectations I put on myself as well so I think I'm learning in my journey to be a bit more kinder to myself and um, try and 
talk some positive talk to myself. Um, Very important. Yeah, yeah, which is why I think a lot of I've been doing a lot of that, and I think that's what where it leads me to feeling content is that um, mm. you know, I reflect on life journey. I think um, a lot of the time I'd always be like oh, I wasn't good enough or didn't do enough, but now I'm trying to unlearn those I suppose self talk yeah. and just be like, look, I'm content. Like I'm happy with where I'm at right now but I do know I'm evolving I'm growing and I want to be better but right now where I'm at I'm not too hard on myself with where I'm at so yeah. content's probably excellent resonates excellent. today yeah I can tell you obviously a very introspective person for, for being 21 right yeah and having all these sort of like feelings of I've gone through this and I've had this and I put myself into discomfort but at the same time I was wanting to challenge myself and yeah like I know, you know, a lot of people at 21 wouldn't have done the same thing that you've obviously done at this point in your life. So that's, I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. No, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Um, what would your best friend, partner, yeah. whoever, um, mother, what would they say is your most alluring quality? And what's the most alluring quality you look for in a person? Um, I would hope that... Um, my most alluring quality would be, um, I think, my compassion mm. um, because I do, I try to, um, yeah, try to, I give a lot to others, um, uh, which is a lot of, sometimes it can, it can come with its cost as well. And I think that's, maybe kindness might be a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the quality that I really, um, love in a person would probably be um yeah their empathy because mm. I think the ability to be able to see through somebody else's eyes but that ability to be able to see from someone else's eyes is really alluring to me because mm. that also means that your perspective on things isn't always really solid it means that you can change it through other people's eyes and see it through other people's perspective and that also means you can probably adapt grow and evolve yeah in your thinking a bit more yeah better yeah definitely yeah do you think uh empathy is something you can learn or do you think you're born empathetic <laughs> yeah see i've always thought about this actually i'm like are people empathetic or are they born with empathy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there's definitely some people who are just I'm amazingly empathetic. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think part of it too is um, there's also, uh, I think growing up in a household with people who are really empathetic could mm -hmm. also make you really empathetic. Yeah, absolutely. If um, people around you also mold and shape that and mm -hmm. um, culturally, there's probably a bit of that as well. I mean, different cultures, um, a lot of people are always giving and like, are you hungry, eat more. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and definitely um, where I come from, a lot of people are, are just constantly giving to each other. So yeah. um, a part of that I think is you're born with it, but you definitely can learn it. Mm. Yeah. It's something you can definitely learn. Um, and, but you've got to, I suppose part of you has got to be willing to learn and yeah. um, want to grow and want to evolve, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, excellent answer. I mean, I'm, I'm still working on thinking of what I actually think about it as well, but I, I absolutely yeah. agree. The experiences and relationships you have with people usually sort of, I suppose, um, radiates, but there's something that um, you take from every experience or every relationship you have. Yep. And if they're giving back to you, then I think that 
transfers that power to you to yeah. take that with you. Yeah. I think, I think, I hope, I really do. Yeah, true. <laughs> you're in a, yeah, environments that can create that, but yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, what's something you're proud of, but you never have an excuse to talk about? <gasps> oh, I'm a very, <laughs> I have say I'm a pretty humble person. I don't really um, like talking about myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what's something I'm really proud of? I think I'm really proud for stepping outside of myself and I don't often talk about it. I think just with the journey of, you know, boarding school and looking for higher education yeah. and um, but then also um, my comfort zone and stepping out and leaving home and playing football. I mean, you're doing it on your own too when you're in these elite environments. You're um, away from your families and your yeah. communities. So you're mm. kind of representing them as well when you're in either your boarding school or in your, your football club. So... Um, yeah, I think I'm proud of myself for um, being able to make connections with people in all the places I've been. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I know, I think you mentioned this off uh, when we were speaking before a recording, but about the Red Dust program. Yeah. And I know you're studying youth work. Yeah. Um, so could you talk a little bit about your experience with yeah. Red Dust? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had an awesome opportunity um, yeah, I'd become inactive this season and I uh, yeah. prioritised my mental health and it was mm. just a very tumultuous time at the start of the year and I felt like a not quite myself. Um, I think a bit of things were creeping up, a lot of grieves and traumas mm. and a lot of things that I had probably suppressed a lot in life And because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very smiley person but then sometimes when you're always overcompensating yeah, for that, um, absolutely. it Understand. means that you're also at times could be hiding something. So, um, yeah, I felt my own immense wave of, yeah, anxiety, depression mm. and all those kind of things um, and I knew that it's was a scary feeling to sit in on my own and yeah. I needed to take a step out and do do the work on myself. So yeah, yeah. I started to do the work on myself and I prioritised my mental health, which was really hard because not a lot of people do that um, in this mainstream day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. but also within um, Asperger's, our communities and where I come from and not many women uh, uh, talk about, there's a stigma of shame. Mm. There's a big stigma of shame um, us in our communities and in indigenous communities so when it came to stepping out um to that level of not playing football it was like wow this is massive for myself and um, my family didn't really support me at first they were mm. a bit frightened because it was so new to them it's because it was like yeah. oh this is unheard of you know we don't really um acknowledge our emotions in this way or know of this what is this working on your healing what is this practice of um you know prioritizing mental health what even is mental health what is well-being so there was <laughs> there was all this and I think my mum was kind of like you're crazy and um at first because and, it, and I don't blame her because she didn't really know she had never been educated in that way to know what this actually feels yeah. like and yeah. these feelings feel like and um that it's okay to do the work and start the work on mm. yourself. And um, there's that different generation as well too. That's Absolutely. a whole, that adds that whole layer to it as well. So um, when I did that, it was massive. It was massive because um, I was just really isolated in those feelings. And um, yeah. there was no kind of community support back home and there was mm. no understanding. Really, there were good friends down here that kind of could sit and understand, but not many yeah, not many really did. Um, and I didn't really, well, I just knew that I didn't do something to help myself. Mm. And then mm. 
got an email from somebody from Red Dust and they were like, hey, would you be keen if, if you've got any spare time? And I'm like, well, I actually have a lot of spare time. I've <laughs> <laughs> got any spare time to come on a trip and um, do some footy clinics. Um, cool. Yeah, so the first trip was to Alice Springs, worked in Iparina School for a week and a bit and that was amazing. It was the first time my mind could actually be still. I'm out on country and uh, I'm looking yeah. out to the McDonald Ranges. And when you're in the desert, it's so different too because it's so flat. Yeah. There's no trees. Mm. It's flat. So <laughs> yeah. when you're sitting on a massive hill or a rock, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just me, my thoughts, my feelings and the land. And God. which opens up your chest. It opens up your mind and it just is a massive release. And when you feel that massive release for the first time, mm. maybe even in your life, it's so emotional because yeah. it's like this massive let go and it's like, yeah, tears come rolling down your face and uh, it's that real deep, deep feeling. And then, yeah, then the next trip, I went back to where my dad comes from and I went to an island and yeah, I did the same games, but I was able to do it in our native language, which was really cool. And wow. we'd be able to do that with mix it with footy, which was so fun. Nice. Um, but yeah, um, after the Alice trip, which was super amazing, the start of the healing journey, I went to Daly River and I met some wonderful elders and, um, you know, sat down near the fire with them and we had some really deep yarns and it was really beautiful. And, so good. um, mm you know some shared stories and shared losses and griefs and mm. um super amazing just to feel different country but then also to be welcomed to different country yeah, yeah. but yeah it was very spiritual um but yeah on that trip was an amazing thing also we're sitting down with elders and we'd gone out bush and um in their language they call it didiri but there was their own word for mental health wow and it was about um you know, sitting and being present and wow. being present with your thoughts, your mind and your feelings. So I suppose that practice had been a long time in their tribe um, with the Daily River Mob and um, it was crazy to mm. actually hear that and to, you know, know that there's an, you know, there was a purpose, there's a word, there's a way, there's a being and it's been around for a long time and mm. um, they were like, hey, you know what, today... Um, we'll take you guys out at Bush and we're going to have some daidiri. We're going to, you know, sit and be present. So yeah, that was pretty cool to practice that wow. um, with old people, with elders was awesome. You know, there's a lot of people out here that um, have, yeah, there are different waves of anxiety and depression. Mm. And um, especially when you're working with kids too, like you're yeah. very much exposed to yes. those different yeah, you know, waves of that, that too. Um, and yeah, which also opens up a whole nother world of knowledge um, and mm. empathy. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I as a teacher, yeah. I, and I worked up in Balgo for uh, a few months this yeah. year and going back and it, first time I've been in the desert really and uh, I found it in a similar way to you just like you go out and you'd be like there's no one really around but it kind of felt like that nothingness was everything um, I don't know if that makes sense to you but like you just listen and you could hear so many different things that I yeah, haven't been right. listening for back in the city when everything's like coming at you. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. yeah. So that was, and yeah, obviously I had it quite a, I suppose a similar track to you at 20, um, my first sort of like episodes with anxiety and that sort of thing. And, and shame is such like a present thing, I think across so many cultures, yep. that whole idea of opening up brings a lot of shame, but yeah. also 
in on the other hand opening up or finding ways to talk about it or sharing stories with other people um actually can break down that shame i think that stigma which obviously there's a lot more work to do but thank you for sharing that was it was great to hear an experience a lesson a message to savor the 90 second nugget this part of the show is called the 90 second nugget can you tell us about a positive and a negative you have taken out of your educational experience whether a formal or informal um institutional place a positive and a negative out of my education um a positive i would take away would be obviously um the connections and the resilience a negative i'd probably take away would be um i think um as most young people struggle with finding themselves, I think yes. um, mm-hmm. you're always trying to conform and it's very mainstream. It's very institutionalized, especially when you go to the very strict and <laughs> private boarding yes. schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think the negative part of that is that um, there's not a lot of self-identity. There's not a mm. lot of who am I? You're always trying to be like everybody else. Cool. And yeah, yeah, when you're an indigenous girl, you're like, got you know me with my curly hair it's like I don't need to straighten my hair every day to try and fit in (laughs) or I don't need to put a ribbon in it like I can just be myself but um when you're in that I suppose high school setting and when you're a young person I think the negative part of it is that maybe it's a mechanism of survival that you are trying to always um fit in and fit a mold that doesn't necessarily exist absolutely yeah Yeah. I spoke uh, with a friend who came on um, a couple of weeks ago and he uh, was talking about how at school he um, by the end of school he's like I have no idea who I am because he had so many personas that he put on that's right to survive and to avoid bullying but also just if he was in the football environment or the theater environment or in class or like out of the party he'd have all these different personas and by the end he's like i have no idea who i am in terms of like what what am i supposed to what am i supposed to be yeah survival instincts is an interesting way of putting it because it kind of is isn't it uh what is the most influential world event that has happened in your lifetime influential world event well i definitely think the referendum would Mm. be way up there um it's not really a world event it's more national yeah um but i suppose my whole world felt kind of like it crumbled down um, in a way, but it was a tough year in that sense. Um, yeah, that's probably been kind of like a, I really changed, really changed uh, my way of thinking, but also um, I suppose when you're a young adult, you know, 2021, you're already trying to identify where you fit in the world, what it is you like, what's, who you are as a person and you're on that journey. Um, and I think, yeah, it was very kind of like a bit of a, knockback kind of a thing because it was like oh my gosh like I've got people telling me to do this or vote yes or vote no people are coming up to me and wanting me to do this a lot of people are stopping me in the streets to ask me things and ask me what I am voting it was daunting when I was in Melbourne with prior to it and it was crazy it was a really outside body experience I think and um yeah when the no came it was like oh wow I really thought that you know we might have actually got a yes but then there were some people within community who didn't want yes so it was all very confusing it's a big deal a referendum and and yeah, yeah like when you're talking about people approaching you in the street in yeah. melbourne where like white people approaching you and telling you how to vote or yeah i mean all different types of people mm. you know i had a somalian guy come up to me right. um, i had all uh some immigrants kind of had a, i did have a lot of older white men come up to me and approach me um <laughs> you know 
what is it what are you voting in that kind of a thing and it was all very kind of sometimes a bit condescending sometimes it wasn't but yeah, right, right. I suppose it was the environment where I was I was it was a friend's birthday she turned um you know 26 and so there was a few of us indigenous girls that are friends mm. that were you know celebrating her birthday and then you know you get the the odd few that just come and walk up to you um, in St Kilda and they kind of ship all the wrong places maybe yeah. we're just at the wrong place yeah, at the wrong yeah. time <laughs> wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> the SP no <laughs> oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. but yeah, yeah definitely yeah. ask you <laughs> found you with so many questions but um, yeah definitely also walking at the train station though I can't say it was um, yeah and there's a couple of days before the referendum I was actually in Melbourne and yeah that was so interesting with the people who had stopped me to ask me what it was I was voting and um, to ask me if I voted. And um, even afterwards, I thought, maybe I'll get out of Melbourne. Maybe I'll go on the train and go see a friend in Geelong, get off the train at Geelong Station. And an old man approaches me and says, how do you feel? And it was a day after and I was thinking, well, I actually was the first time I was ever honest to anyone. And I looked at him and I said, oh, pretty bloody flat. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was very honest, but... um, confusing time mm. this year's in that regard had been so confusing and even for a young person it was the first big referendum of my lifetime for a lot of young people it was like this is the first time we're actually going to go into a, you know a little box and tick tick another box and <laughs> yeah 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 how do you how do you feel uh, not to you know but how do you feel now um, obviously you're pretty bloody flat as you said yeah. about it straight after but how do you feel now have you reconciled with it or is it more just like you're still simmering with that like that is so bloody disappointing that yeah. you know the vast majority of Australians turn their back on this idea that seemed quite logical really yeah I think um, going back home kind of put it into mm. a bit more spe- uh, perspective um, but interestingly enough it was almost like um going through your own seven stages of grief Mm. after it because it was like I'm angry then there was like I'm upset no I can't believe Australia could be like this so there's the denial period Mm. this didn't happen and then there was the like oh my gosh I'm just crying and then it was I'm angry again and then it's like oh well I kind of accept that's what that's what's happened Mm. but don't necessarily accept that others feel that way but definitely accept that it's happened so yeah yeah, there was definitely a yeah um a whole grieving process after that Mm. um almost because yeah yeah it was like this almost false hope that you thought Mm. would kind of see through yeah 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 and i think there was like a trajectory of like progressive change yeah across the world and then it seems to have like hit a standstill you know it's almost like the revenge of you know conservative folk who are like well we can't have too much yeah for you it must be much more personal than for me who was disappointed yeah I think a lot of yeah it's interesting because a lot of people shared the disappointment um probably Mm. at different levels Mm. but um yeah definitely yeah that's probably been the most conflicting in um of my time and it might it might be that might be right up there for a very long time too Whoa, the power and the process. Um, I've got a few questions yeah. about, it's called the power and the process. Uh, how has being creative allowed you to discover your true self? 
And what sort of creativity did you bring to a sport that feels increasingly, well, professional sport that feels increasingly more driven by like game plan and tactics and knowing your role, playing your role? I'm a creative person, but I think when I first was drafted, it was kind of like, oh, Steph, you know, you can't handball to yourself when I was at the Cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was a very creative thing, <laughs> trying to create myself out of situations and I had to unlearn that. It was pretty funny. But um, yeah, brought my own kind of, I suppose I could never really be made into this player that, you know, there was this period of time at the Cats where I was um, tried, tried to make me a back. Yeah. And um, mm. I just couldn't because that requires, meant I couldn't be, you know, exciting or yeah. play on. And I just yeah. wanted to play on. I just wanted to run. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be the AHC. But <laughs> I just wanted to run. And um, yeah. then I went to um, yeah, Richmond and definitely had the opportunity to be half forward. Wasn't able to get any snags, but I played the first kind of five in that yeah. in that season and um, that probably fitted better. And I was able to just cool. use my body a bit more and a bit more free. And then um, I think with footy, I've definitely brought my own um creativity in that sense but um I think that's still to be explored to be honest because um it's such a hard space to be creative or definitely um Mm. be a little bit different in um what do you love most about your country in the top end uh and the culture and tradition that runs through your blood I think a lot of people who go to the top end um feel there's a very spiritual um Mm. feeling there or just um, in general, like a lot of people connect to it differently because I think there's just this massive um, radiating feeling of acceptance and, um, you know, a lot of people um, just embrace each other. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think a lot of people like playing footy up there for that reason too because yeah, yeah. it's that culture of embracing each other and, um, you know, it's, there's, it's not as kind of divided in a sense um and I think people were accepted for their own way of thinking and their own way of being and and I think um that's something special about the top end but I think also it stems from culture um Mm. you know uh top end and uh, a lot of aboriginal people there are very welcoming friendly people and you miss that um when you leave because you know people you know are giving skin names to people who have worked in the community for a long yeah. time. They're very welcoming kind of mob up there mm. and just um, embrace and open with open arms to a lot of people. And I think, I think that's kind of a lot of, um, I was trying to ask my mum if we had any language words for that, because, you know, in, um, in other languages, there's like this deep expression of love and appreciation. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah and I think, there isn't really a word and I was kind of thinking well, like why isn't there a word but I think it's just our way of being so there's no word for it because it's just who you are as a person is this deep love yeah. and appreciation um so it's like beyond language yeah yeah it's like ingrained yeah it's mm. more ingrained so there yeah. might not be a word for something that's yeah. just a part of your way of mm. being and doing so something special about the top end in general beautiful yeah i read this book about bill dempsey um he played for the buffaloes but he oh, also yeah. then went to play for east perth um alongside polly farmer they say two of the best waffle players ever yeah awesome um but he spoke about how even when he went to um west perth the pool to go back and play for the buffaloes was so strong to the yeah. point that he was going to give up getting paid very handsomely to yeah, play wow. in, in the waffle to keep 
so he could just stay in Darwin and play for the Buffaloes. Yeah. Um, and it's probably similar, I suppose, but what is it about footy up in the, the top end, similar to last question, that makes it so special and different from other yeah, leagues? Definitely. Um, oh, it's the... Yeah, it's that um, top end, top end feel people call it. And it's just this really world and life moves slower Mm. and people are just a bit more slower to what it's like in a big city or what it's like. There's, there probably isn't much structure at all. And and I think people aren't in a rush to be any place at any particular time. And um, just that old country feel of, you know, um, giving everyone a fair go, but then also, um, you know, just being kind. Um, I know often after footy trainings up north, it's like if you hadn't driven there in a car or you you walked from your auntie's house, it's like, oh well, hey sis, do you do you need a lift? Yeah. And it's funny that because you know they might not even be indigenous, but they're like asking you, you need a lift to go somewhere, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. drop you off at home, and it's that old, it's the old Darwin feel, it's the top end feel, and mm. um, and I think a lot of people love that because. You know, you've got all different cultures. You're playing on teams with Tiwi girls. You're playing on teams with Tiwi girls and boys or, you know, young people from Daly River or you're playing on teams with some young people who have driven up from Catherine. So there's this really, yeah, like, right. um, communal place and it's a social hub of people from all over the NT and different cultures and, um, you know, non-Indigenous and Indigenous and... Um, a variety of so many different cultures, you know, um, mm. Torres Straits and Papua New Guinea and all different girls that are all just playing um, in one team and, you know, Italian and all different cultures and everyone's just having a good time and everyone's families are having a good time and everyone's just there in each other's company and enjoying each other's company. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's for a really, really <laughs> bloody hot place. It's a good vibe. Cool. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you played at two different AFLW clubs. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways from both of those clubs? Uh, and how do you assess the state of pathways for Indigenous women playing footy at the top level from your perspective as one of the first, I think the first um, Indigenous woman to be drafted to Geelong? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So what do I think could be done better? Yeah, or? definitely. Um, well, I think um, being the first... And um, I think I'm pretty sure at both, but I definitely the first drafted at um, Geelong. Mm. I think there's a long way to go in in that sense because it's still very new. Um, you know, they always say the brothers at Richmond and other clubs, and they've got there's always a, often a group of them, and I think it's a way to kind of um, mm. uh, have more support and have each other. But it's always hard in a way when. T- gets you first and you're the first one to experience it but you're not experiencing it with others yeah yeah um and I think that comes with its own pressures but then also um it could I think this ways of supports will will get better and I think for AFLW in general it it is it's going to get better for the women's sport Mm. space in general um and hopefully that means for our indigenous women that that means that there's going to be more supports for them in playing the sport um yeah just a bit of a more of a networking hub of people who have already experienced it to be able to draw some wisdom off when you're the first you feel like there's no one else who has experienced this um but after that has been broken that mold hopefully Mm. um the young people who are feeling like they're feeling all these feelings and thoughts and missing their country that they can um 
uh, yeah, definitely reach out to some of the older players because, um, yeah, AFLW is still very new. This, um, yeah, so I'd just love to see that space develop and grow. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, excited for that. You, you mentioned know? you mentioned the power of language. Yeah. Um, and I think it's obviously one of the great follies of this land that we don't respect Indigenous languages as we should. But what do you think is the power of, of language and how important is it to keep alive the many varied languages across um, different countries in, in yeah. Australia? I think it's so important. Um, the revival of language, I know with Larrakia Mob, um, mm. There's a lot of family doing a lot of work in reviving because it's so easily yeah. lost. And I think the more kind of westernised um, communities become, I think that's when we start to mm. lose it a fair bit. The thing about Australia, it is now more westernised and mm. we were an oral culture. Yeah, of Every story was oral, was passed down, um, language was passed down and knowledge to land and knowledge to where we could and couldn't go was all oral. So... Um, but in reflecting in language, the most powerful thing about, I think, Aboriginal language in Australia of it being oral is that what what it meant is that we really depended on our source of information to come from our connection to our family, our elders and our people. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like um, first and secondary source. It was like my source is actually depending on my relationship mm. and my connection with each other. I think that's the most powerful thing about language is that um, the way we've kept a lot of our languages around would have meant that we've kept that love and connection mm. for each other um, for so long. And yeah. because, yeah, you can't really learn anything um, from someone if you um, don't really have that relationship first. That's beautifully said, Stephanie. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. the, the Is it like building dictionaries or like databases in terms of language yeah. now, sort of the development of yeah. ways to keep it alive? Is that sort of what the yeah. process is in certain communities? I think some communities, um, yeah, are working with ling linguists to kind of keep it. But um, interestingly enough, in Arnhem Land, where my father's language is, um, yeah, they've got it. They're starting to develop an app, so wow. that's kind of the positive of yeah, social right. media. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah, can yes. try and teach our youngins <laughs> who have our iPad kids um, some of the <laughs> some of the um, language, which would be great. Um, yeah, and for other people to know and understand as well. My last question uh, is very personal one, but yeah. you won a premiership in the top end, I think, for the Buffaloes. Yeah. You were named best on ground in a grand final um, just days after your sister passed away. Yeah. Um, can I ask how you compartmentalised this grief and played on that day, but also how this grief and that healing um, looks like and feels for you and your family now? Yeah, I think um, grief, it, it was such a, it's been such a, an emotional roller coaster, mm. but it was very traumatic. Mm. Um, it's been very traumatic and it's definitely shaped me to become the person I am. Um, I see the world differently after losing my sister. I do um, connect differently with people. I do think I, I've always been compassionate, empathetic, but I think that even grew immensely. Um, Cause you know, when you lose someone, I think it was to more of a mental health related subject yeah. It definitely changes the way um, you connect with people or like um, empathy wise because yeah, you can really um, feel that, if not feel, um, recognize um, your loved one 
and just think of them in their shoes when you're looking at those people, which is probably what, what inspired me to um, work more in community, hopefully mm. one day, um, and study that kind of thing with young people. But yeah, I think the way I played the next day, I was an absolute zombie. And I think I was very much just shocked mm. um, and just played and played really well. And I got best on that day. And I really don't remember much of that day, but... Yeah. I think if I'm being completely honest with myself, it's been a bit of a blur um, from then to now, even though I've ridden so many highs and Mm. played at AFLW clubs, um, because I think um, that trauma is so immense, losing your best friend, but also your sibling, because you've got just a different bond that no one else can really have with each other. Mm. And then especially if you're very close, and being your sisters too, there's that, you know, you're both young women. Um, so you both have similar and shared experiences. And uh, yeah, it was, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And um, I've, I think the thing about grief and emotions is that I'd, I'd become more kind of uh, proactive in my healing that I wanted to learn about grief, trauma, anxieties, depression, all the kind of mm. things after yeah. experiencing it's, something yeah, like yeah. that. So, yeah, I just remember, yeah, my mom telling me, you know, she's she's gone and I'm so sorry. And then, yeah, then the 360, my world just changed. And, um, mm. yeah, I think I just had so much guilt. I had so much, I could have done more. I think a lot of people who lose someone, yeah. unfortunately, to suicide, that is what they mm. kind of go through. They, oh, I could have done more. I mm. should have done more. But um, I could have picked up on the warning signs. But for some people, you just don't know. Yeah, um, you don't. Mm. So it's really hard to tell. And you can't be too hard on yourself. But um, yeah, only recently I'm not being as hard on myself. But mm. I think the way we dealt with our grief was different. Um, and definitely being that the cultural sense of the top end, a lot of people or even just Aboriginal people Australia-wide, there is this thing in different communities where you don't speak the name. Yeah. And, you know... It wasn't a normal funeral where we're looking and talking and story and um, showing photos. We had no photos. So mm. um, that part of that was hard in a sense because, you know, you couldn't look at photos, to then grieve and think. Or it was like very like one and done and there was no talking about it. Yeah. And I think in the in our community, there isn't much um, talk about the way we feel and the way we think um, only till recently, I think young people are starting to be educated in that sense of what is well-being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even just three, four years ago, it definitely wasn't like that. And I think, mm. um, yeah, for my, it was massive learning for my family because from always suppressing feelings mm. and emotions, they had to acknowledge that um, the trauma they were feeling. And so it's, it's definitely as a community and as a big family with um, having to learn uh, a lot about mental health and a lot about trauma and a lot about grief because Mm. um, it's changed the way we think, it's changed the way we feel, it's definitely just changed us as people and our connection with each other. Um, Yeah, and I think it definitely changed. It's definitely a part of my grief was... Um, I suppose when your parent loses a child too, that's a different, Mm. um, to a different spectrum, I suppose, because, you know, that was their child. So I think 
uh, when my mum was grieving, I was grieving that she was grieving. So it was like, <laughs> it was like this big cycle of grief. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, my mum's so sad and I'm so sad, but I want to help my mom. Mm. Oh, I'm so sad, but my aunties are so sad and I'm sad that they're sad. <laughs> and so it's like this, yeah, massive circle. And um, yeah, I've kind of just navigated it on my own, that space and tried to, you know, take it on myself to read books about trauma, read books about grief, um, take time out, try and connect with myself beyond country, um, talk and yarn to other young people who have had similar experiences. But mm. even that sometimes can be hard because of that stigma of shame. Yeah. And yeah. then I think there's a different layer of that when you think you could have done better to help mm. somebody because then there's the shame and guilt of could have done more. Mm. Only now I'm starting to be able to really sit with it and find some sort of peace with it mm. and I think it takes time yeah. and uh, definitely in the western sense um, people have their like their seven s stages but I do think that in this experiencing this I think griefs and traumas and things are um, you can never be fully healed from it though Sorry. and I think it's mm. just a journey and it's mm. a continuum and you've got to figure out um how to ride the waves yeah. but then also be more kind to yourself and that's sometimes a lot of unlearning because we all are so negative to ourselves yeah yeah, yeah. yeah get used to um the world and my family life around me changing yeah so yeah yeah and i say so often that grief is not linear and it's yeah it can be surprising and obviously very traumatic but also yeah. surprising in times when you think that you've got through yeah. something and then all of a sudden you'll be reminded of someone that you've lost and it yeah. just brings up these feelings and they can be, you know, huge or small or yeah. like it doesn't, there's no, yeah. you know, measurement that we have for grief from person to person. There's no yeah. universal feeling that people feel yep. from losing someone, you know, close to them. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, but I think it's so important to have your time to grieve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that, if anything, because um, mm. I think in so much of this Western world or the world that we live in um, is like, we don't have enough time to even give out to ourselves. Yeah, know, right? <laughs> and so it's yeah. like, whoa, yeah. like if you've lost somebody, it also puts you in a different um, position because you're like, well, what's, if I don't have enough time for myself, how am I going to have time to think about this and this grief <laughs> and this trauma? Like there's no yeah. time in a day to do that. So mm. um, it's just go, go, go in the busyness. Yeah. And sometimes your mind's so busy too with things that you've got to get done. So, mm. but yeah, allowing yourself to have the space and the time yeah. um, to feel those feels mm. um, is incredibly important. Yeah, It's so scary to sit on it on your own for the first time, mm. but um, I suppose the more you do it, it's so healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think processing is one of the most important skills that we can have, you know, yep. and processing again, different from person to person, but just having that time yep. space and often just some patience as well. Yeah. Um, which again, as you say, everyone's in such a rush yeah. that even when it comes to grief and loss, it's like, well, okay, I've got a few days, we've got four days here to grieve and then I've got to go back to work. Yeah, and you're exactly. like, well, how are four you days go? off work. That's right. Four yeah. days off work to go back and be like, sit at your desk and be like, oh my God, I'm not even close to being, have dealt with yeah. these feelings, these really powerful feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, almost like I'm learning the... I'm learning like the social structures of um, 
yeah, well be. Yeah, yeah. Because we've been like taught that there's a period of time for everything, but yeah. there's not a period of time for grief and mm. feeling sometimes. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. There is no dress rehearsal. Me and the world on a page. This is called <laughs> Me and the World on the Page. And I would usually get people to scribble things, but it's Oh right. my gosh, yay. But, um, I love scribbling. Uh, best meal you've eaten. Best meal that I have eaten. And I'm going to draw this. You can draw. Oh, yeah, that's honestly, I just, now that the camera's not ro- rolling, you can do it. You can just answer it if you want. Me? Okay, cool. I don't have to draw it. Um, <laughs> I'll just do a little scribble here. Then. <laughs> I'm going to have to say Jamaican jerk bites. Cool. Nice. There were there was this when I was playing for Geelong. There was this little Jamaican restaurant. Um, it's my little safe haven. It played like Bob Marley music, and cool. it was just chill. And they were so friendly and welcoming. And this old dude gave me like Jamaican food. It was the coolest thing ever. And it was like plantain, which is like a but it was sweet, like a banana. Because yeah. it is a banana, but it was a bit more sweet. <laughs> and, and then like there was like this beef jerk kind of a mm. meat on a skewer and then on top of it was pineapple but drizzled over the top of it was like this chili damn so all together you had a bit of sweetness yeah you had like a bit of this really nice tasting jerk by like mm. meat marinated meat with like pineapple sour that kind of really popped off but then you've got this little bit of a tangy spice of damn. the chili on it so it was like an explosion in your mouth it was yeah. legit yeah yeah uh, the four things always on your mind. Four things that are always on my mind. Um, yeah, I really don't. Probably ADHD tendencies, yeah. having very a lot of different things on your mind. Honestly, <laughs> a lot of different things. Most of the time, it's like, ooh, where's my earphones? Let me listen to music. And then it's like, oh my gosh, there's a color that reminded me of this. And now I'm thinking about cake. So, um, it definitely changes day to day. <laughs> Four things on my mind. Um, I always think of tasks that I need to do. Yeah. I always hope to finish them. Sometimes mm. I don't. Mm. Um, definitely mum. Definitely. I definitely think of my sister day to day. What else? What's the fourth thing? The next thing is probably just like, <laughs> where can I listen to music? Great. And how can I listen to music? Awesome. The most beautiful time of your life. The most beautiful time of my life. Wow. I think I've had some really beautiful times. The most beautiful time. I would have to say um, this year has been pretty beautiful mm. in being an active and experiencing different communities. Great. That's been pretty beautiful. Awesome. And that might have been for now, the most beautiful time Excellent. of my life. Uh, a period you're glad you've left behind. A period of time that I'm glad I've left behind. There are a lot of periods of times, but I think um, I'm glad. I think I couldn't say it's a period of time because I think it's come and gone waves at different mm. times of my life, but periods of times of feeling the need to fit in. Mm. I'm glad I feel like I've left it behind. Cool. So I don't feel like I need to fit in anymore. Um, whether that be 
beauty standards as a woman or mm. maybe fitting in as a young person need to do need to go out more need to party more whatever <laughs> like there's things I feel like I've left behind which I'm really really happy about I don't feel like I need to fit in which is cool great yeah excellent um the greatest pain your eyes have seen the greatest pain my eyes have seen um the greatest pain would have to be yeah definitely losing my sister but would have to be um seeing actually seeing the trauma and grief of you know in the eyes of my loved ones Mm. um and that would have been you know day of funeral that was yeah yeah, that was just the greatest pain I'd ever seen in my life um Mm. yeah my mum's got you know, for altogether, there's five of them. There's, and in my language, we don't have a word for auntie. So I've got mum, but then I've got four other mums and many other mothers. And um, to them, it was, they felt great responsibility. And yeah. I think all of them felt like mothers and they are mothers. So yeah, seeing the pain in the eyes of my mothers was pretty, that was pretty painful. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one thing you create with your hands. I'm getting better at weaving. Yes. In and fact, this can be a good... Um, I was going to do this just before the note, but you have brought along yeah. something special to you to uh, talk about. Yeah. So, I've... Yeah. Picking up a family tradition of weaving. And I think one thing I can now safely say I can create with my hand um, is things like arm bracelets, weaving, you know, little trinkets and cool. hopefully baskets soon, but... Will you, will you sell these or are these more for your own personal? Um, well, I hope I get better. <laughs> yeah, right. A bit of a perfect, I think my family's a bit more perfectionist than me. My <laughs> yeah. weaving needs to get a bit better. and then, <laughs> But I definitely can create things with my hands in that sense of weaving. So, yeah, hopefully one day I get to mum's standard and I can make mats and baskets and all types of big things. Beautiful. And then maybe I'll sell them. Love it make so some good. bank let me know yeah yeah please let me know I'd, I'd love to i'd love to get some a basket like a picnic basket oh you go <laughs> okay anyway that's but he one, wants one a picnic customer. basket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh two more questions yep what do you love most about yourself what do i love most about myself Wow, you really got me thinking about myself today. I um, know, I'm I like, wow, I know how hard it is to what talk a self-reflection, yeah. um, <laughs> which is good. But then also, it's like, wow, I don't normally do this. Um, <laughs> That's right. You've got permission. <laughs> I think my spontaneity. I'm very Beautiful. like, if there's, if somebody said to me, do you want to go? It can be bad at times, but if someone said to me, do you want to go for a drive and go camping? I'd be like. Bloody oath I do. <laughs> Got an assignment for you tomorrow, but you know what? No. <laughs> I love Drop it. everything. And <laughs> I just, I'll just go. Like, I'm a bit, bit of a free spirit in that sense. Like, I think it's the love spontaneity it. of... Love it. Yeah. Not feeling structured. Yeah. Um, I'm very spontaneous and I love an adventure. So, if somebody said, I'm driving to the Great Ocean Road tomorrow. Do you want to come? I'd probably say yes. <laughs> a thousand percent, I would say yes. Excellent. I think that's a great quality, but I know I'm also spontaneous. I know some yeah. other people hate that. Again, some people yeah, really dislike really don't that. like it. Yeah, yeah, like, what are you doing today? I don't know. How do you not know? Oh, I don't know. I'm just waiting for things to come up. But. I'm waiting for things to reveal itself. And they're like, you're yeah. crazy. Mm. Yeah. Like, well, maybe you're the crazy. 
crazy one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and finally, this is just before the note to self. If you had the chance to meet with your 16-year-old self, mm-hmm. how would you approach this person? Would you need to say or do anything in particular? Um, I'd probably tell her to be a bit more real with her feelings mm-hmm. because I think she suppresses it a bit and um, it's a big ball of energy, but sometimes, you know, you can just um, – bit more self-reflection self-awareness um yeah and it's okay to not be okay Mm. because i think at times we're just always like lying to a lot of people around us when we're young yeah um and we're so used to doing it um because you're just like always smiling or being happy Mm. when you're not or when or when you could just be a bit more chill in your feelings and be like it's okay to sit in it um yeah, I'd probably just hold her and tell her that. Um, 16-year-old self, I'd tell myself to stop straightening my hair. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's a young woman's prerogative. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I just did it so often. And I think it's because no one else had curly hair where I was. So I was always trying to look like everybody else yeah. and be a sheep. I'd tell her, like, it's okay, girl. Like, you can, you can straighten it. But some days you can be different if you want to be different and be yourself. Damn right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Um, That leads into your note to self. The way we experience the world around us is a direct reflection of the world within us. Gabrielle Bernstein. This is a note to self. Which, of course, is a... Yeah. Yeah, it's a note written to the person that you were are. Yeah. At a point when you need to hear it most. Yeah, okay. Well we've touched a bit on some subjects that are in my notice self. So this is actually interestingly enough, it's not a maybe it's a few months younger self. Mm. I will be twenty two in January, so I suppose this could be a year younger self. Thank you. So (laughs) this is to mid July twenty twenty three. So this is this year. Here we go. It's mid-July 2023. It's been three years since your sister's passing. You are 21, but don't want to celebrate like other 21-year-olds because she's not here. You bleached your hair as it was too hard to look in the mirror as your your own reflection reminded you of her. Your best friend isn't here. You miss your big sister immensely. You've been crying a lot lately as you've suppressed your suffering, trauma and grief. It's all revealing itself in a painful way that you can no longer suppress it. But to sit in these emotions is unbearable. You scream into your pillow at night and lately are looking for distractions in people and almost anything. Our mother misses her too. Her grief has changed her. And recently, talking about our feelings is too much for us that we often argue. Since your sister has been gone, a lot has changed within your family. We have felt heartbroken, traumatized, and I've felt isolated in this grief. You've had amazing opportunities playing sport at the highest level. However, a piece of you grieves your sister is not here for your journey. Since your sister has left, your mother has had breast cancer and had major operations. You've grieved not having your sister's guidance through this period of time. You are now becoming of a young woman, a young adult, having new experiences and friendship and love, and it's exciting. However, you're still so sad your sister is not here for advice. You wish you could have done more, told her you loved her, held her tighter. You blame yourself for her death. 
but you were a teenager and could not comprehend the immense feelings and thoughts she had until July of 2023. You suddenly can understand your sister as you two are experiencing depression and anxiety. You have now chosen to take a break from playing AFLW to become inactive as you feel at a low, a scary low you have never felt in your life. An immense feeling of depression, anxiety, stress and pain. You're scared to be brave and put your mental health first, as not many do, neither many young Indigenous people from your community and neither did your beloved sister. That's partly why she's not here too. To myself in this moment, you may feel afraid, but this break is going to change your life. You're going to get an opportunity to do a lot of work in Indigenous communities up north for a non-for-profit organisation working with all types of people and children. You will sit with elders and heal, telling stories near the fire and laughing. You will sit on country and mend wounds. You will cry freely in the bush on these trips and wash away feelings on country. You will find a creative way in poetry to express heavy thoughts and feelings. Most of all, you will find your purpose in aspiring to work in community for your people in the future. Because in this break, you will find your gift of making connection and giving love to others. Your future is bright. It's time for acceptance of your past and to sit and heal in your grief and trauma. And please remember there is no shame in speaking your truth and putting your mental health first. You are now paving the way for many more women in your community and family to do this, to start their healing journey. And know this, for this, you would have made your sister very proud. Very beautiful, Stephanie. Thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and what a leader you already are, you know, for your community, but also just across the board. You know, you've done so much already in such a short amount of time. And, you know, to go through depression, anxiety as well and have those feelings and to be here such a vibrant person from what I see. Obviously, thank you that's, so much. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. It was really beautiful um, oh, and thanks, very moving. Will, no, that's all right. You can call me whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a few more questions called Weird Fishes. It's the final segment same questions for everyone take a deep breath it's weird fish's time and yeah just answer as as you feel the album you most cherish the album that i most cherish well we've kind of spoken about it briefly on insta frank ocean is an album that i really like i think the most um cherished album um that i really really kind of like outside of that is probably yeah it's interesting I like Jack Johnson as well that's another album I think it's the better together but it just reminds me of my sister so um, there's a period of time I think with music when you love somebody and you lose them you don't listen to certain songs yeah so I think I like it's a most cherished because it you know reminds me of a happy time it's a bit bubbly like her character so Mm. that's a pretty um yeah just his music in general and his albums so yeah yeah. yeah, and I think I'm happy that I've gotten to a place where I can listen to (laughs) all types of music without falling apart and I'm like this reminds me of him and I'm like oh my god I'm a mess (laughs) it's like this is great I can listen to it and like groove out so yeah yeah. pretty cherished I think because I've got Channel Orange but I think we've spoken about Blonde which is also my favorite album yeah I Um, love Blonde 
Yeah. It's a vibe. I can't find the vinyl. I mean, I can find the vinyl. It just costs $150 to $200. And I just don't know if I'm ready to invest that amount of money. Money to listen to something that you could on Spotify. That's right. Yeah. I know. I know vinyl, we say, is different. And it is. It's cool. It's really cool. It sounds so annoying to change. I see you've got Lauren Hill. Do you like I love Lauren Hill, yeah. I love Lauren Hill too. Lauren Hill. One of my favorite albums, actually. That's probably another cherished one, actually. I forgot about that. But yeah, I just think she's. Yeah just was beyond her time. I think so. And she's similar to Frank in a lot of ways in terms of quite elusive, uh, doesn't want to conform to what an artist is supposed to be. So release like one album, one live album, performs occasionally, but is doesn't probably felt the pressure to release and just said, well, I'm not, I don't think I can release anything as good as that. And I don't know if I want to, you know, it's like, yeah, I think she's an incredible artist. Just kind of go with kind of how they feel and, listening to themselves and yeah. their own creative direction yeah being an artist cool. is way bigger than being a corporate no part of the machine yeah you know, to develop albums so other people can make money from you and you know? yeah make mm. more money it's kind of like well i'm mm. an artist because i love it not yeah. because i'm trying to you know make all these other people rich yeah that's right yeah. exactly um the film that spoke to your soul a film that a spoke film, yeah. to a film that spoke to my soul there is a few. Oh, what's a film that spoke to my soul? Well, what's a You're film that time. spoke to your? Is it your soul or yourself? Yeah, I saw one the other night. The yeah. boy, the boy and the heron. It's Studio yeah. Ghibli, Japanese animation, and it was just. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot cool. of metaphor, a lot of that. So at the end, you're like, yep. "What did that mean?" But I think. It was about grief. It was about um, losing your mother. Yep. And this boy lost his mother. And then there was... Anyway, I won't ruin it. Oh, oh, but unbelievable. If you had to it see it. It's just really profound. Very yeah. profound. And yeah. all, all the films that I've seen from Studio Ghibli are so... Yeah. Incredible. Very moving. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love that. I love things that are moving. And then mm. you're just like afterwards, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Kind of just like... Sit in it. Sit in it. Mm. Yeah. Um... There was a film that kind of um, spoke to my soul a bit. Um, be like, oh, wow, yeah. that's intense. <laughs> that I've never kind of thought about. And I was at that age too. I was probably like 16 or something. Mm. But it was like an American film and it was called The Hate You Give. Oh, yeah. And it was about like, I think it was based on a true story. A young African-American girl. Um, yeah, witnesses. Obviously her, her friend get pulled over by the cops in America and the States. And he got, I think, unfortunately got shot. Yeah. So it was a bit, it was a bit like, whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, police brutality in that kind of a sense. Mm. But I think for me, it kind of, yeah, that was the, that kind of was a movie that I was kind of like, yeah, if not spoke to my soul, it kind of made me think of, you know, just treatments of different people yeah. or minority yeah. groups. Parallels. Parallels to things mm. that happened in Australia mm-hmm. and, you know, really resonated, I suppose, with um, story and community and places yeah. and just like, yeah, I think, yeah, it was profound in a way be, yeah, because it started to make me question the world around me when I'd gone back home. So oh. I think, yeah, it profound in a sense that it made me kind of, yeah, wake up from out of being in fantasy to reality because sometimes when you're a young kid, you're just in your own world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, a book on your bedside table. Um, book on my bedside table. Well, I've got a few poems. Um, cool. Maya Angelou. 
Oh yeah, Miss Maya. I have, um, I have a book, a few books, The Resilient Project. Oh yeah. Then I've got the other book about um, that I'm yet to read, but I'm going to read because it's on the bedside table. It's ready to go. Um, same author about uh, yeah. unlearning of social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and kind of like, um, yeah, just pros and cons i suppose of what we talked about about social media yeah. so i'll let you go how let you know how that book yeah, goes please do. Please yeah do. so i'm please keen do. to read that um yeah and i'm reading a lot more to try and get off the phone so great yeah excellent excellent always um, wanting to add more to my book list marvelous well you're more than welcome to take oh awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh, a local recommendation so. local recommendation to Melbourne. Wherever. A local recommendation. You know, just going, a local recommendation would be just going to the top end, go to to Darwin, you know, experience the top end. I think that's my local recommendation. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I've been to Darwin and yeah, I thought it was an amazing place, but again, I'd like to go back. Yeah, definitely Um, go back. Yeah. I think it's a place you could just keep going back to. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does love feel or look like to you? Love feel or look like to me? Um, Definitely... Um, number one has love in any relationship, a friendship, a intimate, whatever, um, mother, daughter, father, definitely safety, mm-hmm. um, safeness, feeling safe to be able to express yourself however you want to mm-hmm. about whatever emotions you're feeling. Um, I think feeling safe within somebody and in the presence of somebody is so important yeah. to love someone. You've got to feel like you can um, be honest with them in a really deep way because you love them in a very deep way. But Beautiful. sometimes, yeah, so definitely safe is one of them. And then um, then respect is the next one, um, you know, because sometimes you're not going to, people you love, you're not going to have the same opinions and mm. feelings and thoughts. You might get conflicted and it might hurt your relationships at times, but I think there's the respect of, you know, we might not always see eye to eye, but if you can evolve and grow with me, then that'd be cool. Cool. The next part, to accept who they are as a person, because yeah. if you're always trying to change somebody, mm. um, yeah, family, relative, anybody, it's like, no, I just got to accept them mm. fully for who they are and yeah. get how they come. People, yeah, love people as they come, I think. Cool. Yeah. Great. What do you most fear? What do I most fear? Um, elevators. <laughs> okay, that's the most unusual answer I've yeah. ever that. Agoraphobia? What's that? Oh, the one where enclosed spaces. Um, oh, yeah. This is going to annoy me if I've got it wrong, but that's all right. Yeah, may- maybe that's, yeah. <laughs> You'll just re-record yourself yeah. later and add it in. That's right. I, well, I definitely will. Agoraphobia, <laughs> maybe agoraphobia is more wider. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what hypothetical why question did you ask when you were four, or maybe you asked when you were four, that you still don't have an answer for? I have dreams, <laughs> and sometimes we have dreams, and we in our dream, it's like, us waking up and I don't know if you've ever had this but you're like waking up in your daily routine yes and you're like I just dreamt that I woke up from sleep mm-hmm. yeah right and a lot of the time <laughs> we put <laughs> dreams is yeah are bizarre but. we have like everything 
in our dreams. So we've got the bedside table, we've got everything, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But very rarely often or not do we ever see our phones, yet we use it so often. Mm. There's never a dream where we're on our phone. Yeah, right. Why mm. is that? Maybe it's because... When we're on our phones, it's almost like we're in a dream, but we're awake, but we're actually like hibernating within there. Because you know how when you're on your phone, it's hard to concentrate on anything else? Oh my gosh. Maybe. I don't know. That's cool. (laughs) That's a great answer to my Mm. unknown answer. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. cool. Thank you. Um, And finally, the four people you'd have a long lunch with, one person you love, one person influential to your life who has passed, and two people you've never met but feel connected to. Wow. Have you never met someone but felt connected to them? Like in terms of like reading a book or listening to yeah. the music, you know, like Frank, Frank Ocean. I yeah. feel connected okay, to cool. him. <laughs> Beyonce. I'm yeah, joking. Beyonce. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Lauren Hill. Coming to, coming to lunch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Four people that I, I want to come to lunch and two. Okay, cool. All right. Um, yeah, I've got a good mate. Probably invite her. It's like my best friend. Cool. Invite my mom. Yeah. You know, we'll yarn it out, you know, ladies at brunch, <laughs> brunch time. Um, definitely, um, if it's going to be someone that's going to come, I would love to meet Xavier Rudd. Yeah, nice. I feel like he'd be a vibey person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his music is cool too. And it's cool music. Love yeah, music. it's very like chill. Well, remind, like you mentioned Jack Johnson before. Yeah. Xavier Rudd. They're so similar outside the mold kind of things yeah kind of like you know big bigger picture things yeah spiritual in a way like obviously very different from calling on nature that sort of thing i think yeah yeah but all those artists seem to yeah anyway it's your answer no no no, cool no (laughs) i'd I'd invite him i think that'd be cool and then the next person that i would invite is bell hooks excellent because she's very profound and she's pretty amazing she was a professor she you know speaks on outside kind of ways of thinking unlearning you know colonial social structures and is just really cool um and i love watching her it sounds really boring but i love watching her uni lectures and sometimes i watch it with cousins up north um yeah i would invite her because i think she thinks outside the box so my mate also thinks outside the box i think xavier rudd would probably have a spiritual thing to bring to the table she'll probably bring a more of a social you know construct outside way of thinking to the table and then my mom's just there for the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for coming today to, to, on the ebbs and the flows. It's been a very enlightening chat, a beautiful chat. Thank um, you so Thank much. you for being so open, open and thinking outside of the box, as you said. Um, but yeah, all the best for, you know, what, what's to come. It sounds like there's so much to come in your life and I'm really excited for you. But also just thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great um, safe space and <laughs> I've enjoyed yawning. It's been fun. Thank you. Well, you've been listening to the ebbs and the flows, soft chats about hard stuff. I'll see you next time. See ya. <laughs> If you or someone you know is struggling, or if this episode has triggered anything for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Mental health is hard. Let's be soft together.